We're living in an age where our culture is corrupting and disrupting women. They're teaching women things that are not important. They're teaching women things that do not add value to their lives. How does that affect us here at Manlyhood? Well, if you're a father of daughters, if you're a girl dad, like our guest today, Eddie White, we're going to learn how to raise confident daughters. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast. And here's your host, Josh Atcher. Hey, welcome back to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. And yes, I'm the founder and the leader of this movement, but this movement is not about me. This movement is about all of us, men being better men together. And if you want to do that, you can join our Facebook group. That's one way you can get plugged in with some other men, make some friends, connect, ask your questions, reach out for support and help, learn from each other, have interesting and intriguing discussions that have iron sharpening iron that's how one man sharpens the face of another. That's what we do here in the Manlyhood Man Cave. So please go to the Facebook group, join it, and we would love to be able to interact with you there and help you be a better man as we do it together. Today's episode is a great one. I had an excellent sit-down with Eddie White, and he teaches us how to raise confident Daughters, I really enjoyed this interview. I think Eddie has a tremendous and amazing perspective. He works as an educator to teach us all kinds of things. And one of the things he teaches us is how to be better parents, how to be better parents to our daughters as well. So I'm looking forward to this. Let's listen in to what Eddie has to say. Eddie, it is great to have you on the Manlyhood Mancast. I have, have really look, enjoyed looking over the stuff that you sent over to look at and seeing the work that you're doing, helping uh dads raise daughters. I know that's just a fraction of what you do, but I think it will make especially a really good background for our our, uh, uh, our conversation today. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you uh, how did you get to the place where you're doing what you're doing today? Yeah. And hey, thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on. I'm you know excited to share, you know, whatever knowledge and insights I have to, to anybody that listens. And uh, for me, so I kind of, I'm almost a, I'm a new entrepreneur, uh, but I'm an old soldier, if you will. I just retired from the military, spent almost three decades doing that. Uh, but if you trace back to my upbringing, I'm a Pennsylvania kid. I was born in Pittsburgh, grew up outside of uh, a town called Johnstown and went to university of Georgia. So I got some Southern in me and I'm excited, you know, for us hopefully winning our first national championship in a while. I'm a huge college football <laughs> fan. So, you know, I, I can't go without saying that. And, um, and then whenever I got into the military, very soon thereafter, I met my wife and we had our, our first daughter. She was in the military, had our first daughter. And then a couple of years later, had our second daughter. And when I was in Germany, I actually assigned there as I was just going through what most of us do in raising our kids, you know, you just kind of keeping them from crying. My wife always looking at me whenever, you know, she leaves the house and comes back and keeping them from falling off the couch and, I'm just trying to do what I think most of us do. And I was on a business trip with 
um, another father who had teenage girls. And he was just lamenting about how he missed his daughters growing up and they weren't paying attention. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're, I think they're 14 or 15. They're still in the house. And I didn't quite understand what that meant. And then about a week or so later, after thinking about it, it hit me that he waited too long. He, he tried to provide all that sage fatherly advice and be the dad he always imagined. But as you know, teenagers aren't trying to be, you know, hanging with dad. It ain't cool to listen and, and spend the time they have. Nowadays, they have social media, but they have friends, they have activities, they have everything else they want to do. And if you wait too long, then you miss that opportunity to really instill and pour into them what you aspire and what you desire when you're a younger dad. And whenever that happened, and my daughters were two and three, that's really when I started moving into the space of being deliberate, being intentional, having an idea, coming up with goals and aspirations that I had as a father that I could, you know, enable my daughters to be confident and empowered young women. And so that kind of started the journey that led me to where I am now as a father of adult daughters. But my journey as far as a business person, you know, I wrote a book starting in 2012 where I was called to write, I was sitting in church and I was called to write a book about raising my daughter. So I can really start sharing uh, some of the knowledge and insights that I attained with other fathers and other men. And about seven years after that is when I actually published it, started my business in conjunction with that. And now I'm really focused on helping fathers raise confident daughters so they can kind of get in front of the curve so that they can, you know, help their families and set their legacy. Yeah. So how old are your daughters now? Um, my oldest is 26 and my youngest is 24. Awesome. Were they, when you published the book, were they still at home? No. So good question, because in 2012, when I wrote it, they were still at the house. And, and after I wrote it, my wife and my daughter, because, you know, you're not going to publish a family book without talking to the family, of course, right, unless right. you want to set yourself up for pain and agony, which I didn't. <laughs> um, my wife and my daughter said, you can't publish it now. It's, we're, we're, we're not grown yet. How do you write a book about raising daughters? And right. we're, not, we're not raised yet. So, and I kind of hearkened to the message. My message that I got was to write the book in 2012. It wasn't to publish the book. So I said, okay, I got it. So then I refined it, had people read it, you know, and, and added in a lot more stories and content. And in 2019, at that point, they're pretty much grown. So my um, my old, my youngest was born in 97. So she got her master's degree um, in accounting. She works out in Michigan. So at that point, she was pretty much, I think, into her master's program. So they weren't officially full-fledged adults, but they were, in my view, pretty much as close as, you know, for me, once you get into about 21, 22, 23, then you're in a, you're transitioning to a different level of parent child interaction. So they were, by the time it was published, they were not when I started, but great question though there, Josh, good catch. Yeah. Well, I, I think about that because you know, that's something that, uh, uh, I know a lot of people who love to give parenting advice when their kids are still little, I'm like, man, you got no idea until you start dealing with teenage drama and, uh, and, and then, and there's so many phases, like when, when they hit 19, that's a completely different person. It's like, where did you come from? What's going on here? Who do you think you are? <laughs> uh, so, um, so you wrote your book about, about raising daughters. Tell me um, what point in, in, in your relationship, how old were they? I think, you know, when you started to realize 
okay, I need to make sure I'm investing in them when they're younger. What, what age do you think that really kind of so, spoke to you? Yeah, the story I told you about, my oldest, I think, was three at the time. And I spent probably the next year or so really sort of trying to make sense of what that means. You know, everything, you know, it's kind of abstract when, when someone tells you, Hey, you need to raise your daughters and, you know, be deliberate. Cause you know, when you, you have a two or three year old, as you know, you're, you're kind of just winging it. I mean, most of us all. <laughs> and probably when they were about four or five, it kind of crystallized and it started with my three philosophies. And I came up with this premise. I said, okay, I want to raise my daughters to be functional, independent adults. That was one of my philosophies. My second one was self-esteem was important because my wife, I've been married 26 years, almost 27 here in a couple months. That's one of the things that attracted me to my wife was her confidence, the way she carried herself. So I said, for women, that's important. I want to raise them to have high self-esteem. That was number two. And number three was nothing catastrophic before they graduate high school. And to me, that meant no sex or no pregnancy, no alcohol, no abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and no drugs. And those three philosophies, and I came up with that when they were about four years old, my oldest, I'm going to reference here, because they're only about 18 months apart. But when I came up with that, when my oldest was around four years old, said, okay, this is kind of what I imagine, you know, whenever my daughters are grown, is that they have self-esteem, that they're able to go out and function on their own, be independent. And then, you know, God forbid, nothing happened to them that we would believe would be difficult for them to, re- to uh, recover from or will always be there. So, and I use a term called don't be sad, S-A-A-D, sex, alcohol, abuse, and drugs. So avoid all of them. And I use that in when I raised them and I use that in a lot of stuff that I teach other fathers. So those three things happen when I think my oldest was around four or five. And at that point, you transition because it hit me that I'm no longer babying them. I'm not nurturing them. I'm raising them to be adults. And when that clicked, those three philosophies and that principle that at some point they're going to leave the house and they're going to be adults. And it is I'm as a steward of them, it's my responsibility to enable them to be in a position where they can succeed and excel. And that point around four or five years old, when is when I really started to make sense of those three philosophies and practicality. So I started doing sessions where I'll talk to them about self-esteem. I started creating opportunities and discussions where I can make sure that they're maturing at a rate and in spaces as far as functional and independence so that they're not dysfunctional and dependent, obviously. And I started doing that when they were around six or seven years old, because I believe that's your critical shaping years. So they, they can understand a lot more. They may not understand all of it, but they'll listen to it. And then you can then build on that when they get older. So right around five to seven is when I really started, started to, you know, get, get my head around what that meant and what to do about it. So what does that conversation look like with a, you know, five to six year old? What does it, what does that look like? Yeah. So it, it kind of starts with different things. So I, I called what I, the term I use, which is sort of a, a term to make them understand this is important, were life nuggets. And so anytime I told them, and I did this for 15 years, Josh, if I say life nuggets when they were 10, when they were eight, when they were 15 or they're 20, they knew, okay, dad's about to talk to me about something that matters. And it could be a five minute conversation or it could be a 50 minute conversation. So when they were younger, one of the first things I did was self-esteem. And one of the things I wanted to show them was it starts with how you perceive yourself when you look in the mirror. So I literally 
brought down a, a whiteboard, you know, or I took one from where I can't remember at that point, but I had a whiteboard and I had a marker with a whiteboard. And they were literally, we sit in the living room and they would be six or seven years old. And I would talk to them almost like I'm talking to you. You know, it, it would be clearly probably over their head, but I would try to use terms, but I would draw it on the board. Okay, how do you see yourself looking in the mirror? And then I'll say, okay, how do your sister and your mother and I see yourself? And I would go through this sort of explanation of evaluate, understanding yourself, being confident in yourself, understanding how other people perceive you. And this is what I, this is what I believed that they may not understand everything I tell them at six, seven, eight years old, but they're going to listen to it. And what, what that allows me to do is when they're nine, 10, 11 years old, I can state it again, but it may be a little bit differently, but it'll be the second time. And then when they're 11, 12, 13, I can state it again and they'll perhaps live in and experience some of that. So now I can have practical examples of what I explained. Well, at this point, I've explained something that's important, like let's say self-esteem or self-worth three or four times in three or four different fashions, a side conversation in the car, a whiteboard session in the living room, talk about it over dinner, you know, highlight on a movie. And then when they get to be 11 or 12 and I now reintroduce it or they have a question about it, I'm not starting from zero. I'm starting from what I explained. And you do that over 10, 15 years, now things are starting to seek in, seep in. Because as you know, saying it once doesn't necessarily mean it's going to resonate. So I was, I was convicted because I had nephews and nieces that were teenagers and I've mentored and tutored. And I found when you talk to a teenager, you tell them one time, it's an 80, 20 chance that it ain't going to resonate. And I'm like, I'm not going to have that with my daughters. I'm going to make sure that what's important, I'm going to present multiple times over the time I have. So it's, that's the way it was when they were six, seven, I just did it until they were, you know, 2021. Yeah. Did you find there were times when they uh, listened, heard it? Maybe did they, were there times when they, when they maybe resented it and then understood it more later? Did you have any of that kind of stuff? Was it like, oh, here comes dad with his life nuggets again? Or did, do you think they, do you think they appreciated it then? Yeah, so I'll give you the, the back and then I'll work, uh, work into the, I guess it's the end and then work to the during. So one of the most humbling and powerful and impactful things that I got was on Father's Day. It was actually right before I published a book. So I think it was maybe 2018 where both of my daughters wrote me a letter. So I used to write them letters, right? I'd write them letters every now and again, whether it's Valentine's or I would just write them letters saying how proud I was of them, how they were maturing and developing and, and that. Uh, throughout their life, just intermittently, whenever I thought it was a, applicable, something I encourage every dad to do, you know, and they, they'll tell you, they, my oldest daughter, I know kept all the letters I wrote, you know, and mm -hmm. so they both decided to write me a letter about how much they appreciated me as a father um, on, in like 2018 on Father's Day. And they cited the life nuggets and they cited that they didn't realize how important they were then that they do now. And so, yeah, there were times when they were, not necessarily jumping up and down to hear them. And one of the most uh, noteworthy instances of that is when I used to do summer math and science programs. So my undergrads in chemistry, so I'm a math science guy. And I found that girls particularly were, they struggled in science and math, not because they couldn't do it, but because of their confidence. They walk into, and it's just this whole, as you know, there's all sorts of studies about different challenges that ethnic groups and gender groups have. 
And even though I'm a chemist, doesn't mean my daughter's going to walk around in confidence walking into science and math. So I decided that when they were in middle school, um, I was going to teach them algebra and geometry and chemistry. So when they got to high school or later in middle school and they took it, they didn't walk in not knowing anything. They walked in and that would bolster their confidence. So during the summertime for about three years, we did summer math and science and a couple hours Couple couple hours a day, couple of weeks of, of the summer. Were they happy? Absolutely not, Josh. They weren't chopping at the bit. You know, I'll pull out the whiteboard, sit down the chairs, and they're like, oh, my, their nieces or nephews will come, or their cousins will come. My nieces and nephews, they're sitting in there as well, and they're getting tests. And no, they didn't like it at all. They didn't. But I know, and as you know, there's a certain level of friction that you tolerate, right? When they get to be teenage girls and older teenage girls, then that friction is such that you just don't do it. So the stuff I did about summer math and science was when they were still, you know, I think 11, 12, before they got to the point where they're like, dad, we're not doing this. And they put us so much static. I just say, okay, fine. You know, we're not going to do it. Yeah. So I think every parent starts with, maybe they don't verbalize it or say it, you know, your sad acronym there where they say, all right, I don't want my kids to go through the same mistakes that I did. I don't want them to have to deal with these things. And, you know, maybe they take the time to verbalize it, which I think is a very valuable tool. You know, you identified very early on, I don't want my kids dealing with these specific issues, but sooner or later, every kid's going to struggle with something, you know, did you find, and, 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 you know, maybe yours didn't hit the same pitfalls because you were strategic, but did you find that when they hit, the struggles, did that hurt your relationship? Did you guys struggle through that? What was that like? Yeah. So fortunately for us, and, and I, I won't claim credit for the don't be sad. Right. And, and um, as far as precluding the biggest thing, if you talk about sex and, you know, one of the things, and this is something that has helped me with my insights as well is at the end of my, my raising confident daughters program, we actually do a joint session And that joint session is the dads with their spouse, me, my wife, and then one or both of my daughters. And it allows for them to tell the other dads their view of everything that I've been teaching them for the two months prior. And some of the stuff I'll tell you, Josh, actually has been enlightening to me on some of the stuff that they say I didn't do and I could have worked on. Um, And so with regard to anything catastrophic, we were blessed that we didn't have them uh, any of those pitfalls to hit. And, but one of the big things that my oldest daughter will tell you that my wife and them made a promise not to have sex when they graduate high school. And my wife is one, she'll tell you, she's all about full transparency. If they ask the question, tell them the answer, uh, because it's going to come back and, and nip you anyway. And to your point, if you want to keep them from doing something that, uh, that you did, tell them that you did it, tell them what you experienced and maybe that'll help. And so they came up with a promise to not have sex before they graduate high school. Now that was supplemented my bad, don't be sad. And I had an elementary and a graduate level, don't be sad, we can talk about because when they left the house to go to college, I had another discussion about, okay, you're going to have sex. Everybody does. 95% of people have sex before they get married. You're likely going to have sex. You know, you're going to drink alcohol because you're going to turn 21. And so we had a different level of conversation. But what I always encourage any dad to do is you need to understand where your daughter is. And you need to talk to them about where they are. And now, if you can do some of the stuff I talked about when they were single digits, then what allows you to do is build that relationship foundation where you can now pick up on things that are different. You can pick up on changes. You can talk to them and they will listen. 
um, you know, and you can foster a relationship where if something happens or if they're moving in that direction, you can interact with them, potentially intervene and keep it from happening. But if it does happen, then when you talk to them, you need to talk to them from that space because now you're trying to mature them so that they can understand and deal with it in a healthy, effective way. Yeah, it's tough because you don't want to communicate. You have failed me, (laughs) you know, you know, because then the shame creeps in and that actually just creates more of the problems. But at the same time, sometimes there's some, especially when they're younger, you know, there's some consequences to the decisions and you've got to work through that process and, and it can be pretty tricky. And, you know, I, I know that we've had to work through some of that with our kids and different issues where we're like, you know, this isn't allowed and now you've broken the rules. So we've got to, we've got to deal with this. And, and sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and we all, you know, always say everything I talk about, the strategy, the philosophy, the planning is because the implementation is the hard part. And I always say, if, if, if you don't, if you have a plan, it's hard. If you don't have a plan, it's really hard. So if you don't identify what those standards are, if you don't define what adulthood looks like, if you don't understand and articulate what intangible characteristics you want in your daughter, right? If you want your daughter to have self-love and be self-aware and be resilient, and you want her to have healthy relationships, define relationships, and you don't, you don't verbalize that, communicate that with your, with your wife or your spouse, don't have in your mind what that looks like, then you have a higher probability of that not working out the way you want by osmosis than if you do. But if you do, all that is fine. But trust me, as you know, you still got to deal with the 14 year old, you know, girl who's seeking independence, you know, who went through puberty, who, who isn't trying to hang out with you and is going to make mistakes because the saying young and dumb has been around for a long time for a reason. So they're going to have failures. They're going to have issues. They're going to have relationship stresses and you got to be in a position to help them navigate because I go back to we're a steward. So when they fail, when they struggle, you have to provide the insights, the mature lens, the longer term considerations so that they can grow from that. So when they're adults, they're kind of positioned to have that be a strength that allows them to be resilient, right? I always say resiliency is something you kind of, you, you almost got to teach when they're younger. You know, learning resiliency later is harder because it's something that you're not necessarily used to. And, and that, but that's part of us in dealing with the struggles that you talked about. Sounds like you have a really good relationship with your wife too, which I know that that's probably not everybody is in that situation, but I know that that like in our family, that is, it makes it a lot easier to parent if you've got that, that solid foundation. And if you are neglecting that relationship with her, it makes it a lot harder when you're dealing with your kids as well, I think. Yeah. And, and we do. And there's a lot about, you know, one of the things that I'm a big proponent of is leadership. And, and one of the things that some people don't know, understand when you're younger and then when you're single is almost all of us are going to be in a position of leadership at some point in our life. Um, if you're married, you're now a partnered leader, even if it's only two of y'all, cause, cause one of y'all are leading. And I believe, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I believe in the apostolic, right? God, Christ, husband, wife. So there's a role and a responsibility as a head of your household that you have as a man and, and as a, as a husband, and as a father, well, that means you're in a leadership position. And if you're a young man 
or if you're a parent of men or women and you're not teaching them about leadership, which starts with understanding yourself, starts with having a purpose, starts with providing clarity and guidance to those who are you're responsible for. All that stuff is leadership. And so what happens is if you're put in a position in a marriage and you've never understood or appreciated the importance or val- and value of leadership and you're in a leadership position, then all of a sudden you don't lead. And if you abdicate the leadership responsibilities, then it's a vacuum that's going to be filled. And if it's filled by something that you don't like, then that friction comes in. And then you throw your hands up because now it's like, well, we're not communicating. I, I tell all the fa- all my fathers when I talk about communication, you have to identify what you want. You have to define those standards or whatever the aspirations are. And a critical part before you start doing it is to communicate with your wife. You need to talk about it and you need to figure out how do you have that conversation. Some, some men are uncomfortable going into that space or they're not knowledgeable. And I would tell them, you know, for me, I would tell my wife, I'd, you know, kind of these words that help trigger uh, responses. And I would say my wife, you know, Hey, we need to talk. And when I say we need to talk, that meant this isn't some casual drive-by conversation. This is something that is impactful to the family. You know, so we need, I need your attention. I need you to commit to the, the energy. And then when we make the decision after we talk, if we change our mind or if you don't agree, I'm going to go back to that conversation, right? When we talked about when our daughter's going to date, we didn't talk when they're going to date when they were 15. We talked about when our daughter's going to date when they were like six or seven. So we said, okay, this is when they're going to date. Because my oldest daughter was younger. She started school when she was like five. So she was younger. So she was pressing us to date when she was under 16. Well, we had decided that's when you're, we're going to date or you're going to date. Well, we've made that decision. And so neither of us have the latitude to change the decision we made together. But the only reason we could have that level of respect and appreciation is because we mutually had the discussion that was either initiated by me or initiated by her. And I was a partner to, we came to a decision and we held each other to account for that. And the bigger, more complicated the decision, the more important you have that consensus. But that's the space that you as a man, you as a father, you as a husband, you got to get in that space because the other way, they just going to all of a sudden pop up there. So in your marriage or your relationship, I'm, I have a guess and I, I, I'll tell you what my guess is later, but is one of you the softer one than the other? If the kids come and they want to bend the rules, which one of you is the soft one? Which one of you gives in? So Actually, I'm not sure. My wife is a strong alpha, like strong alpha. And uh, I I will consider myself a a soft alpha. And so, but you can tell just kind of my view is I set the standards and what I expect as a household. Now, I'll tell you, for me, I'm kind of a, a left and right limit. So I call parental energy. As long as they're not hitting that don't be sad, then I'm not going to be overly pressed and stressed. And as long as they're not compromising my functional independent adulthood, I'm not going to be pressed and stressed. And my wife, everything matters like all the time, right? They didn't do their chores. <laughs> if they didn't, if they answered a question gray. If they didn't complete their homework, she's like zero to 10 quick. So we had that balance. And what we actually had to find was both of us couldn't be uber aggressive all the time because it would overwhelm our daughters. So one had to sort of back off but we were pretty consistent with having a common front. So you really couldn't navigate. We always talked about what happened throughout the day and, and, she, and we would pick up on that. So it, they wouldn't, 
they wouldn't try to test it because there aren't too many soft spots. We were pretty much a consistent front. So we had four kids. The oldest two were twins, boy and a girl. And boy, I'll tell you what, you want to talk about gender studies, have a boy, girl, twins, man. I'm telling you from (laughs) birth, no, from even the ultrasounds, man, there is a difference between uh, the little boy and the little girl. And that we could have a whole other separate conversation, but you know, the, the first two, man, we were so strict with everything. Like, Nope, we don't, you know, no Harry Potter in our house. You know, I mean like, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, then you get to the end and shallow is like always the youngest is always like, you know, wanting to, you know, well, can we just bend this rule? You know, I'm like, okay, whatever I'm done. <laughs> and I don't feel bad about sometimes recognizing that, you know, we were probably too strict at the beginning and now we're, we're a little bit looser now, you know, not with everything, but with some things, my wife though, it's hard for her. Cause she's like that rules person, you know, but, mm-hmm. but that's part of the fun of parenting, I think is figuring it out as you go. So <laughs> what, um, so I know that there's a lot of men that are in a situation where they are not with mom, you know, it's a, it's a split home and they're still doing the best they can, but it's not, always peaceable or easy. Um, what, what kind of advice do you have for a dad in that situation? Yeah. And I talked to a fair number of fathers who are in that space. And one of the big things you kind of have two different parts to it almost. And this is not necessarily ideal, obviously, but you have two different parts. You have the relationship with the child, with the daughter. Um, and then you have the relationship with the mother. And, and you almost have to recognize those two things. So the one with the mother is really about common appreciation of goals. And then what is the communication vehicle to allow that? And I know even when you're married, as you know, if your wife gets amped up, you have to have the ability to sort of ramp down. And I would argue, you know, women would say the same thing. If your husband gets ramped up, but So how can you effectively communicate? Because if one gets overly sensitive about something, then all of a sudden, as you know, it's that friction I talked about with teenage girls, or it's even worse with women, right? If if your wife is in a position where she's like, look, this is the line, I ain't talking about it. You got to be pretty bold to kind of go and keep cross that because you know what you're going to generate as far as pain. And so with with your parenting partner or with whoever the mother of your child is, you really got to look at how can I effectively communicate? What can I do to effectively communicate? Because if you can get to that point, all of the animosity, all of the friction, all the disagreement, all of that can be somewhat mitigated. But if you're at a point where you can't even communicate, then it's just, it's pain from the moment that, you know, your brain or, or your, your name enters into her brain. So I, I think that you really have to focus on communication. And a lot of people, as you know, Josh, have communication, you know, shortfalls. I mean, how do you how do you bring up a topic? How do you communicate? How do you empathize with someone? You know, what is the the angst in the relationship? So I think you really got to invest in how do you effectively communicate? And there's different ways, you know, even when I talk to my dads about their parenting partner or their spouses, how do you do that? And you know, how do you introduce something so that you give her enough time to think about it, that you can then reintroduce it, that y'all can talk about it, that you can come to a common understanding, that you can reference it. But some of that requires patience. And then you have personality issues. So communication, I mean, I can 
talk on other specific examples, but communication is one thing that you have to really figure out with the person who you're not living with um, on that instance. As far as your daughter, now I was talking about how do you maximize your time with her? And, you know, some, you know, if you're not seeing her, you're writing letters, how are you communicating with her? But really it's that when you're with her, what are you doing with her? How are you being impactful? How are you making sure that she understands that, you know, she's important to you and you're able to pour into her the things you want to pour into her and able to foster that relationship that over time uh, will, won't degrade to a point that you can't have a relationship when she's a teenager. So with her, it's about how do you foster that uh, relationship and with your, with the, the co-parent, if you will, it's about how do you enable effective communication? Especially with the, the mother making sure that you are able to keep your reactions, <laughs> you know, when you try to communicate and, you know, then all the past starts coming back, it makes it very difficult. So, you know, it, you know, you might even need a mediator or a third party to help, you know, I, I think things like that. So yeah, like you said, like finding what ways, what's it going to take for us to be able to communicate? And yeah. So looking at, one of the things I think about a lot is, you know, being a man, uh, it's, you know, women are always a mystery, you know, and little girls are also a mystery. There's times when raising a daughter is actually easy, you know, because it's just like, Oh, they're, they're, you know, they like to play with dolls and they like, they like to be told they're beautiful. That's easy, you know, but then there's the, then it starts to get, it's, it's like a foreign language, you know? And, and, and I think, how do you, how do you encourage a dad to relate to his daughter? Yeah, so I think it starts with, in my view, a term I use in, in my class is derived personality traits. And I'm a big proponent of tailored parenting. So the, the first thing is recognize what is the personality combination within your daughter that is derived from you and her mother. So, for example, my oldest daughter is like 70% me, 30% you know, my wife. So she, has, she views problems the way I do. She's analytical the way she thinks, you know, the way she communicates, all that stuff. And she's been that way from a young age. So I could talk to her almost like I'm talking to you, and she would always pick up on it just because we were so similar. My youngest daughter, however, was 60-40, my assessment. So she was 60% my wife, 40% me. So she had my wife's high IQ, right? I tell people, I'm, I was, of, of the four of us, I'm the, I'm the dumbest of the four, right? My, my youngest daughter is probably the smartest, you know, with her IQ, higher than my wife's, you know, she has whatever strengths I have. And, and my wife has a, has a very high IQ as well. So her personality, so me talking to her, if I talked to her the same way I talked to my oldest daughter, she wouldn't pick up on the same things. I'd have to use more analogies, more stories, and I have to understand she was more at that masking and deflecting because she had that gifted and talented sort of attribute where she doesn't want to disclose her vulnerabilities. And she doesn't, she answers the question based off what she thinks you want to hear, not what the answer is. So it was a completely different construct between how I interacted with my oldest daughter from my youngest daughter. And so therefore, as they got older, I had to then be a lot more conscious of how the relationship flows. So my oldest daughter and I really never had issue with our relationship. We just always communicated, flowed through, whether we were seeing each other all the time, it was just boom, natural. I spent a lot more energy with my youngest daughter. 
in part because of her personality. So we would do game nights, you know, we did, we, you know, we would go walking when she was a teenager because, because she was so adept at masking and deflecting, I didn't feel like I was getting to really get to her weaknesses and her vulnerabilities so I could help her. And actually I'll tell you this sad story, which is really for any father that's out there with teenagers, because I always go back to the critical shaping years, but as you know, Josh, it's it, the navigation, like you mentioned, gets different when you get to the teenage years. So with my youngest daughter, I, I had a concern that when she left the house, how functional she would be, particularly when she went to college, because she was, she was at looking to go to college in like Michigan, we live in Virginia. And so I had a long conversation, took a whole lot of time. And I said, Jalea, that's my youngest daughter's name. I want to walk with you every Sunday before church, no technology. And I didn't come in with some pre-arranged agenda. So I wasn't going in there trying to teach a life nugget or anything. It was just her talking, me listening. And if I had the opportunity to disclose, you know, a piece of information that was of value, I would. And we did that for a full year just to build our relationship up. So I was in the middle of doing this and I had a coworker of mine at the time and he was, you know, he was, he had a 16 year old daughter at the time as well. And for whatever reason, this came up and I was always free with sharing with anybody what I was doing with my daughters. And I told him I was doing this with my daughter and he goes, man, that's a great idea. So he goes home and he asked his daughter, Hey, I like to go walk with you every week. And she goes flat out. No. So their background and their relationship prior to that point clearly was problematic. It was almost fractured. So I see him a couple weeks later and I was like, Hey, how you doing? He goes, Hey, Eddie, he goes, I was at the airport about to fly out. I got a call that my daughter attempted suicide. I was like, what? Luckily it wasn't successful. They get back to the house and now as a family, they're trying to figure out what do we do? What's going on? His daughter turns to him and says, Hey dad, are you still interested in walking with me every week? He said, absolutely. And so the point of that is that a invest early. I'm a big proponent of those critical shaping years, single digits up to early double digits. You have got to build that relationship because you don't want it to be fractured. When they become teenagers, you know, Josh, they can go black wall. They can go, mm -hmm. you have no idea what's going on. They, they, they present themselves a certain way, but you don't know what their stresses are. You don't know where their pains are and, and you're just blocked out. And therefore it's harder for you to help them for you to do what I talked about before, develop them. And so therefore, but if you do have that, then you got to create opportunities so that you can try to overcome that. And that was just an example of, okay, this is what I did because I knew that my youngest daughter was different. It goes back to my derived personality traits. So you should know, and you should know by the time they're, you know, it could be later, you know, I'll tell you this real quick. My, the 30% of my oldest daughter, we just kind of threw that out there. Cause otherwise up to that point, we're like, she's like all me. We're riding in the truck coming home from a soccer game or something one night, Josh. And she's at this point, she's like 16 or 17. So she's dating. And this one guy wants to spend time with her. And she's just, oh, he, I got too much going on. I got school. I got soccer. He wants to spend this. I don't have time. And me and my wife looked at each other and said, that's the 30%. <laughs> her dating right. view of men where the, the bad thing was she had like a 40 year old woman's perspective of the 30%, which is a little bit scary. Now, mind you, she's married now. It's okay. But you know, you, you pick up on that so that you can meet them there and develop them based off of your weaknesses, right? You know, you have weaknesses as a, as a person. And if they have your derived traits, they may have them as well. Well, you want to help those weaknesses not be an impediment to their success. So you kind of deal with that. So that's kind of some advice I would give. That makes sense. Eddie, that's excellent advice. 
I, uh, I'm really actually appreciating this interview. <laughs> I still got a year left of my daughter, you know, before she's an adult and, and even my grown daughter that's got, uh, got a child and, and it won't be long before she's grown as well. You know, I, I think there's some really good thoughts in there, man. I appreciate that. So, um, I like to ask this question of all my guests, Eddie, um, what if, let, if you were to run into the eight or nine year old version of you, what would you tell him? What would you want him to know? You know, so you talk about eight or nine. So you're, you're probably in, um, you know, elementary school, that third, fourth grade time frame. And, you know, one of the interesting backgrounds for me, Josh, was um, I was, a, I grew up in a small town, Pennsylvania, and uh, we moved right when I was about six or seven years old from the city of Pittsburgh. And I was, our family was the first black family in the entire neighborhood. I was the, uh, I think I was the only black kid in my entire, definitely in my entire graduating class. I think it was in my entire high school. So it was fascinating experience to be an extreme minority. And so you navigate that space. And so it was really about discovering how I fit in. And, and the one thing I'm very appreciative of, and, you know, I, I went to my classroom a couple of years ago, uh, I've been out, you know, obviously for over 30 years, I'll leave it at that. And, um, but I always found that the relationships that were built when you're younger, even though they may break off when you're in high school, they are the purest ones I think that you ever have. I mean, just, you know, there's something about seeing somebody when you were 13 and 14, when you're 45, 50 years old and connecting. And so I would say when, when I was eight or nine, it would be to commit to being as good as you can be in the environment you're in, you know, so it's really that, you know, cause you always figure out, okay, who am I? How do I fit in? You know, I don't look like everybody else. How good are, what are the relationships like all that stuff? When you're that young, you are really sort of navigating. So I will say when you're eight or nine and you're kind of in that, in that space where you're really trying to figure yourself out, it's really about committing to, okay, you know, I'm going to be as good as I can be. And if I can, if I can be better then I'm going to try to be better, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be as good as I can be by working. And then I'm going to, you know, trust in the relationships that are being built because, you know, I didn't move, you know, even though I'm in the, I'm in the military, you know, we moved in, in 19, I think it was 70, uh, no, 1979 is when we moved there. I graduated, you know, from high school in that same small town with everybody that I started, you know, second or third grade with. And that, that's what I would say, because, you know, you're just, you're so formative in that time that you just got to be receptive to listening and then really trying to do as well as you can. And my next question is this to the guys that are listening today, what is your best advice for them? Yeah. So I would say, and this goes back to leadership. I'm a big leadership proponent. And so if you're a boy and, and I always tell everybody, I said, look, we all, we all travel this path. And I think you agree with this, Josh, we all start out as boys. That's the way we start out. Young boys. I call us all knuckleheads because we're, we're knuckleheads. Then you turn into a young man. And you reflect on how you got to be a young man from your boyhood. Then we mature into men. And now you're, you're in a space where you're really looking at how did I get here? Where am I? What are my responsibilities? Then you become a grown man, whether that's when you have kids, married, whatever. Then you become an old man. So we all go through this natural course of boy to man to grown man to old man. 
And there are certain things that we don't understand the next um, iteration is going to introduce to us. We understand it once we're there and we look back, but we don't understand before we get there. One of the things that I believe we all need to appreciate, recognize is that we're going to be in a leadership position, personally or professionally, you're going to be in a leadership position. And so you have got to, as a boy and a young man, invest in learning leadership. What does it mean to be responsible for? What does it mean to be accountable for? What does it mean to have a vision and to take action to realize that vision? Maybe not only for you, for your wife, for your family, for your children, all those are leadership characteristics. And if you're young or if you're someone who's single right now, say, I don't have to worry about that. There's going to come a time in your life. You can almost guarantee it that you're going to be in a leadership position. And if your legacy is relying upon how good or bad of a leader you are, you're going to want to be more prepared sooner than later. So invest in leadership development, recognize, respect it, so you can do it as well as you can when you actually take that mantle. Excellent advice. I definitely feel that. I, uh, I had the privilege of when I was young, getting uh, nominated to go to this leadership camp. And I remember like, like it just made sense to me, you know? And so I kind of tried to live my, I was nominated because they saw leadership in me, right. As a kid. And then for the rest of my life, I, I kind of tried to abide by those principles. And the funny thing is, is you can be a leader and not ever have the title or the pay raise or whatever you think goes with it. And I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest things that is lacking in our society and our culture is we have people that they get the leadership role because they've been there the longest, but they know nothing about what it means to actually lead. And, uh, you know, it's service. It's, it's more. So yeah, yep. definitely, definitely good stuff, man. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you the thing and always say this, I was actually talking to my nephew earlier this week about the principle of parenting. Right. And I, and I tell people, I said, look, Almost no parent explicitly raises their kids to be a parent. At best, we raise them to be adults, right? And we know what the worst is. And so what happens is when you become a parent, you're either doing one of three things, typically. You're either mimicking what you saw without context because you're a kid and you saw what your parents did. You're avoiding what you didn't like or you know is bad, and we kind of know what that is. Or you're guessing the rest. And so all that guessing in the middle the consequence of you not guessing right and not having any foresight and not investing in to prepare them for adulthood and for excellence is on your kids. It ain't on you as an adult. You've already, you've already moved past that. And, and so it's funny when I was talking to my nephew about that, if you think about it, if you're raising your kid to be a leader, then that is the best you can do to posture them to be a parent. Because no matter what, my dad didn't really raise me to be a parent. My dad, you know, helped raise me to be a man, helped raise me to be a husband. But when I became a parent, you know, I, I didn't understand all the things my dad did. I'm just trying to figure it out until I got to the position where I sort of created that deliberate, philosophical, aspirational approach, which a lot of people don't hit that crystallization until sometimes your kids are teenagers. So teaching your kid, whether it's a son or a daughter, how to lead when they're younger in the home will play itself out when they become leaders in their home. Excellent. Eddie, if 
folks want to follow the work that you're doing, if they want to know more about the resources that you have to offer, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, so I have um, I've a, a website called raiseconfidentgirls.com, and that uh, that has a case study video. It allows you to kind of hear some of my thoughts and views. Uh, or you can go to my my website, uh, www.jedwardwhitejr.com. So the jedwardwhitejr.com covers really the full spectrum of my company. So I do leadership, I do financial literacy, and then obviously I invest heavily in my legacy line, which is my fathers of daughters. So, you know, I'm trying to partner with communities and different people who have access to men and fathers, because I think everything we talked about here applies, whether you have daughters or whether you're just a man. So jedwardwhitejr.com has the full spectrum of what I do. Uh, RaiseConfidentGirls.com uh, will get you to some of the some of my views and insights. And then obviously start point JD for Instagram for those who do that. And I have my you know Instagram and Twitter, but uh, really and then Facebook as well the start point or, you know, my name, but, um, but yeah, those are different ways. Probably the Jaywar white junior is the most comprehensive and then you can find out, you know, and, and watch videos and, and hear other stuff that I talk about. Awesome. I think it'd be cool to have you on the show again. Sometime we could talk about some of these other things that you work with. It'd be awesome. And we'll include the links to your profiles and your website in our show notes for anybody that's listening and wants to click through and check out what you're doing. So, Hey, is this has been an insightful conversation, my friend, and I really appreciate you sharing with us today. No, just, Hey, enjoyed it. Thanks for the invite and appreciate you, uh, you know, push me in the direction you wanted me to go. Hopefully all my answers were, were of value, but um, now I love sharing, you know, I always say, you know, all the insights and, and knowledge that I've attained over the last 30, you know, 35 years it doesn't do any good if I just keep it to myself. So I'm just trying to provide as much as I can to anybody who can see value because sometimes it's important to apply it when you're 20, 25, you know, as opposed to when you're 45 or 50. And so we, I think it's incumbent upon us to really help anybody who's younger, who's going to be in a position that we know what some of the challenges are because we've walked that path. So now I appreciate you having me on Josh. Really, really do. Awesome. Thank you very much. Shout out to Eddie White. Listen, his information is in the show notes if you missed it and you want to check it out, you want to connect with him and see what he's doing or where you want to learn from him deeper, please dig in, get his book, sign up for his programs if it's something that will help you. I care about you guys and I am grateful for the opportunity to bring you this kind of content. This is the content that as I'm learning it, it's shaping me. It's helping me to grow. My hope is that it's helping you to grow. And if it is... If you're learning from what we're doing here, I want you to help me spread the word. I want you to share these episodes with your friends. Leave a rating and review on iTunes because what that does is that tells that tells Apple, it tells the algorithm that this is good content and that it's relevant and then they share it with others. Do the same on Spotify or if you're on YouTube, like the video, click the little heart button on the video and comment on the video and share the video so that we can get this out to more people and we can help more men join us in our movement as we take back what it means to be a man and as we become better men together. Anyway, guys, I love you. I care about you and I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.